I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I bought it all and I dropped off But I'm, I'm still seeking time Hello and welcome to another hyper-masculine episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we take contemporary young adult fiction and treat it like a little bit of magic in our lives that we both admire and respect for its intelligence, intrinsic self-worth and gender-irrelevant awesomeness. Because we are not beasts! On alternate episodes, we look at the books of our youth to see if they still contain the delicious elf magics that we so loved. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by my fellow brosts, <laughs> the ineffable but totally effable Patrick Moon. Hi, fresh out of elf magic's rehab. <laughs> <laughs> and the go-getting, jet-setting, heavy-petting Keith Rowe. Hey, baby. <laughs> Ooh, no wonder the heavy petting's coming on thick and fast with soulful, <laughs> dulcet tones like that. Now, chaps, can I get a single please don't sue? Boys night! Mm, chunk, please. <laughs> Boys night. <laughs> this episode, we dive into Half a King, the young adult fantasy by Joe Abercrombie. But before we do, because irrefutable quality awaits, <laughs> a warning! Greetings, weary traveller. Come inside and rest your tired feet. Feast yourself on the sensory delights of this fantasy tavern and wash it all down with a deep tankard of mead. But first I must warn thee, should you not have read this tale, taking a seat at our bar may expose you to a world best journeyed by an experienced traveller, someone who has traced the past before them. If you are brave or foolish, heed not this caution and settle in for high murder, treason inception, violence gore, and tales of the high sea. Before we go on, a taste from the one true host, Laurie. The Greater Good There was a harsh gale blowing on the night Yavi learned he was a king, or half a king at least. A seeking wind, the Getlanders called it, for it found out every chink and keyhole, moaning Mother Sea's dead chill into every dwelling, no matter how high the fires were banked or how close the folk were huddled. It tore at the shutters in the narrow windows of Mother Gundrig's chambers and rattled even the iron-bound door in its frame. It taunted the flames in the fire pit and they spat and crackled in their anger, casting clawing shadows from the dried herbs hanging, throwing flickering light upon the roots that Mother Gundrig held in her knobbled fingers. And this? It looked nothing so much as a clod of dirt, but Yavi had learned better. Black tongue root. And why might a minister reach for it, my prince? A minister hopes they won't have to. Boiled in water it can't be seen or tasted, but is a most deadly poison. Mother Gundrig tossed the root aside. Ministers must sometimes reach for dark things. Ministers must find the lesser evil, said Yavi. And weigh the greater good, five right from five. Mother Gundrig gave a single approving nod 
and Yavi flushed with pride. The approval of Getland's minister was not easily won. And the riddles on the test will be easier. The test, Yavi rubbed nervously at the crooked palm of his bad hand with the thumb of his good. You will pass. You can't be sure. It is the minister's place always to doubt, but always to seem certain, he finished for her. See, I know you. That was true. No one knew him better, even in his own family, especially in his own family. I have never had a sharper pupil. You will pass at the first asking, and I'll be Prince Yavi no more. All he felt at that thought was relief. I'll have no family and no birthright. Keith! Synapses locked, loaded and firing like a cannon? Or ready to switch off, put down and completely abandon? Mm, somewhere between the two. This is very much in the young adult fantasy spectrum, right in the middle. It's what we expect or what I expect of this. So I wasn't excited or deterred by this. It was par for the course for me. Patrick. Thank you for that very middle of the road sort of <laughs> evaluation. It truly was, though. It was exactly what you expect of young adult fantasy. And I don't know whether you should hope for more in the opening page. So it's difficult to cast any more judgment just yet. Yeah, I like to come in heavy with t taking a swing at any opinion that, that you have because it's sort of the, the <laughs> default stance for me now. But I actually completely agree with you in that this was pretty lock stock standard fantasy fair here they rolled out all the tropes the reluctant heir to the throne it didn't engage me much at all I, I started to have some misgivings actually when i started reading this book that thinking oh god what are we in for it's one of these ones that is not going to be a breath of fresh air it's going to be every fantasy book of my youth reiterated once again what about you laurie oh man i was like pavlov's dog with the bell ringing. <laughs> this kid is a king, but he doesn't want to be. And he's learning about poisons. And he's only half a king? What? Why? When? How? And where? Tell me more. I suppose for you it's like, I've I've had lots of cocaine in the past, but I do still enjoy it. <laughs> exactly right. So, yes, I loved it. I'm ready for more. But the plot thickens, of course. So who better to unravel it for us than the king of turgidity, Patrick Moon? <laughs> Can I just say before I get into the synopsis, when you said uh, Half a King by Joe Abercrombie, I was actually surprised because I've spent this whole time thinking it was Brandon Sanderson. I don't know why I've attributed it to Brandon Sanderson. I, I've somewhere in my brain, the lines have been crossed. And uh, so, you know, either apologies or congratulations to... Sanderson for that. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out. Our story begins when the illustrious ruler of Getland meets a premature end. Our hero, young Yavi, is left to carry the burden of ruling, being the king's son, which is difficult because he's only got one hand, a fact that is made abundantly clear at no fewer than 327 different points throughout the novel. <laughs> In any event, Yavi assumes the throne and sets out to get his revenge on the rival king who murdered his father. 
Unfortunately, it seems that Yavi's uncle, who I'm going to call Tommy Lee Jones because I've forgotten his name in the book, was the real culprit. And our fave lad finds himself turfed from the top of a tower into the sea, much like Harrison Ford, a la The Fugitive. At this point, (laughs) Tommy Lee Jones looks down from the top of the tower and is all like, God, it a Peter Pan right here after this dam, right here, whilst our sodden hero manages to find his way to shore. To cut a long story short, Yavi is captured by Getland's enemies, sold into slavery, and chained to the oar of a sassy drunkard's trade ship. He must befriend his fellow slaves, plan an escape, and travel back to Getland to put a sword through Tommy Lee Jones. Anything that you would like to add to that, gentlemen? Well, it was a weird road that you went down, but surprisingly <laughs> accurate. <laughs> I used a couple of direct quotes from the book and I don't really know what you're saying there. (laughs) That covers it for me. What about you, Keith? Yeah, there's quite a few more twists and turns there, but yeah, that's the road it travelled in high view terms. So well said. This is one of these synopses where I could have spent nine minutes detailing every plot point and it really is one of those relatively straightforward plots from that higher level perspective and what really makes it is the the characters and the intricacies and the the twists and turns along that journey back to Getland. And the many escapes from certain death. Many escapes. Laurie, why don't you tell us why you chose this? And then marry your cousin. (laughs) And then if uh, you die, she can just marry your brother. They do get passed around a bit, don't they? (laughs) With... Alarmingly increasing in frequency, I strike out on my own outside of Seeking Tumness to just read for my own pleasure. <laughs> can, can you... Alarming... Alarming increasing in frequency. And alarmingly... Increasing in frequency. <laughs> increasing in frequency. Yes, that's right. So an alarming decrease. You're- yes. <laughs> I don't read as much as I would like and that seems to be... Uh, alarming you. Alarming and <laughs> It's alarming me. I'm alarmed. Are you alarmed, Keith? <laughs> I'm very well alarmed. I'm much more alarmed than Yavi. <laughs> it's petering out now, actually. Very quickly. Well, carry on then. <laughs> so is the episode, I feel. <laughs> Anywho's about a year back, I noticed that the local bookstores were flogging Half a War, which is the third in the trilogy. Pretty hard. It was in the windows, it was in prominent positions in the fantasy section. So I picked up a copy of book one and assumed it was normal adult level stuff. I tore through it, loved it, and then only when reading some interview questions at the end of the book did I come to know that it was actually intended as young adult fiction. I figured if I struggled to tell the difference, and especially after enjoying it so much, then it must be exactly the kind of thing that you boffins would either enjoy or have great fun tearing asunder. Having been burned so oft before, I figured, what's a little bit more scarring on the ticker? (laughs) (laughs) To that end, unleash hell, Keith! (laughs) I feel like I've been set up here, going first in both page one and this. So, had you read any of his adult stuff? No, but I will, now. Okay, because for me, this was very clearly young adult fiction. Mm. I am on Laurie's page here. I read it and was looking at it like, is this young adult fiction? Is this just a scaled back adult adult fiction? Is that even a terminology? It just didn't strike me as particularly in line with a lot of the other young adult stuff we've read in the past. I couldn't couldn't differentiate it from any other fantasy novel, really. 
Yeah, maybe that's my greenness when it comes to fantasy. But I guess because of the age of the lead character, it had cemented itself for me as being young adult. It was obviously more gory and violent than your average young adult fair, but it was right where I expected it to be. Yeah, so young adult fantasy, it's chock-a-block full of the same story told over and over again. That's my perception of it. There's a twist here or a gimmick there that attempts to differentiate. With this, I was wondering whether we hit the trope effectively or whether it would introduce something new to the genre or at the very least to be executed to perfection. And as I've said, I'm not an expert in this field. We've got you two boys for that. To use a phrase that Pat has put out there recently, if there was an objective bar that was set for this. This was happily limboing well beneath it, dutifully chanting the tired old overused mantra of young adult fantasy. That was true for the first 20% of the book for me, where we're introduced to the defeatist Yavi in a world ruled by backward, sexist, brutish, ritualistic, thuggish morons. If I can interrupt you there, did you know he only has one hand? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I talked to Bree about this, I think on the train or something, that I think it was really necessary to have him harp on about his hand so much because it it highlighted that he felt made weak by his infirmity. Like he was a lifelong victim and he treated himself as such and I think that really changes later in the book. So it was necessary to set up the character as a scared, weak, but only because he thought he was weak kind of character. Did you not think we got that after the 10th time? Did we need the 15th and the 20th and so on? Hmm. I didn't think it was that bad. I was highlighting that over and over again for a period, and then I just gave up because I was getting tired and it was slowing down my reading too much. <laughs> <laughs> the characters not being likable in the opening section was a bit of a disservice to me. I like to, as I've said in the past several times, attach myself to characters, and I didn't really do that at all in the first 20% of the book, which is quite a quite an amount to go through without forming any attachment to characters. Because you like characters a little bit in your books, don't you? Apparently. I don't know. It's... Um I just want to be best friends with the characters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's a really great idea to stick a 15-year-old on a throne after you've been berating him and belittling him his entire life. I'm sure nothing bad can come of that. But don't worry, this is coming-of-age fantasy. He'll prove everyone wrong and will save the day. Now, thankfully, it didn't play out entirely like this because that's where I was thinking it was going to go. And that came to be the saving grace of the book, as opposed to the first few chapters, which are the sound of one hand clapping, quite literally. <laughs> Ultimately, though, the characters were lost in the story. There was too much effort given to the twists and turns of the plot and not enough to the characters. For someone like me, this was the ultimate failing of what was an entertaining framework that failed to be filled out to my liking. That's a nice way of saying I didn't like this as much as I could have if it had better characters and characters that I liked because I didn't really like Yavi too much. I know it's not a requirement to like the lead character in a book, but in a book like this, you're supposed to, and I just didn't find any attachment to him. Are you supposed to? Well, I don't know if you're supposed to, and you definitely don't have to, and just like you don't have to like the lead character, you don't have to like the book. Well, it's a free country, Keith. <laughs> what, what did Man, you, th- you should never read the shipping news by, <laughs> I think it's E, Annie, Prulow, Pru. I think it's just Prue, but I spelled crazily. Sorry. I just read a Stephen Shipping King. <laughs> <laughs> I just read a Stephen King book where the two lead characters were utterly detestable and I love that book. So certainly it doesn't hold true that you have to like the characters to like the book for me, but I just didn't have any attachment to them. I didn't feel they were fleshed out enough and it was all 
very clear and very obvious they had been filled out in the story as opposed to developed prior to the story, which is in stark contrast to what we had last time with The Outsiders, which was much more in my wheelhouse. Why don't we hear from someone who would and did and has professed to love this, Laurie? Yep, I did. I loved it. It was Talons In from Woe to Go, and I'm downloading book two before this night is through for sure. The setting was grim and dark, but it really piqued my interest, especially with the reasonably subtle cleverness of the elf ruins that dot the land. For me, that was, again, I was just like, oh, this is that exact same book that we read a couple of weeks ago. And I I know last time I was on the podcast, I also referenced this book and I also said I forget its title then. It should surprise no one that I have still forgotten its title. (laughs) The one with the bears outside of Chicago, but there weren't really bears. I just said there were bears. Where they get jump on the divergent. trains, dauntless, divergent, divergent. It's divergent again. It's just divergent <laughs> no. again. The difference between divergent in this book is that in that book you know that it used to be Earth, although it really was just modern day Earth with a weird set of buildings off to the one side, wasn't it? Uh, yes, that's yes. But with this book, you don't know. It's some fantasy world, and then there's little hints of the elf ruins, which well, it's just Shannara. It's just Terry Brooks. It's just Shannara. <laughs> Which is just divergent. It just doesn't matter at all anyway. Well, I think it's interesting. that Anyway, the point for the listeners is that the elf ruins that are these sort of broken down buildings scattered all about the land, they appear to my reading and obviously to yours, Pat, to be the remnants of our old world, like thousands of years have passed since our current era has crumbled into dust and there's just a few buildings left behind. And Mm. I was about to say that's a device that's probably been used in books before, in books I haven't read. And maybe in the Wheel of Time. But I thought in this book it was just a perfect seasoning to an already intriguing world. So. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect retort. I have no comeback. (laughs) Regarding the characters, I thought there was some meat to them. Maybe not so much in backstories, which I think we might hear for some characters, the ones that survive, more about in later books, at least I hope so. But I thought it was more about the the conversation between them. I really loved the pithy phrases that were thrown around. I thought they were clever. Oh, God, didn't you get tired of the Conan-like retorts from Nothing, who we find out later was uh, Yavi's uncle and former heir to the throne? No, I didn't. Not, not once. I thought they were clever little dialogue nuggets. They were more delicious... <laughs> And less regrettable than KFC popcorn chicken. Nuggets of something. The carefully staged and steady development of Yavi really hit the mark for me. I thought his cleverness, despite being a self-pitying weakling, the cleverness allowed him to triumph over his enemies, make some keen observations of the world outside the royal court, and understand when he had it wrong. It's just the sort of thing that, that stirs the interest of geeks, in my opinion, so I liked it. Yavi, as a character, goes from being a truly sympathetic character that I felt badly for to a man that I cheered for, especially at the end when he's poisoning his old mentor that set his father up for the fall and and then let him be killed unsuccessfully. The switcheroo, the it was I all along, Yavi's lost uncle who was carefully disguised beneath a bushy beard (laughs) reveals that he's the rightful king after all. Who Yavi's dad and other uncle had yeah. killed or thought they'd killed. He yeah. seems to be very ineffectual at pushing people into water and killing them. This, this is why I didn't go through all the twists and turns in the <laughs> synopsis because it's, it's too much. That revelation, embarrassingly, it caught me off guard. I didn't actually see it coming, which I felt a bit bad about afterwards. <laughs> this is why I called it treason inception in the spoiler. All right. Because I didn't see it coming, I loved it all the more, and I'm sure most readers will see it coming. I just 
was having an off day, apparently. Finally, I was left thirsty for the unresolved plot lines, such as the almost romance between Yavi and Sumail. Abercrombie has my dollar for the next two books and might have a few more for his adult series. Patrick, you're a shameless fantasy buff. How did the book play out for you? I am a shameless fantasy buff, but for me, this one fell somewhere between you and Keith. I'm going to take the middle ground here and say that I didn't love it. Hang on a second. I need to shout you down when you take the middle ground because it happens to me all the time. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Happy to be shouted down. Do you have anything else you'd like to say or just the... (laughs) (laughs) No, I've got no substance to that argument. (laughs) The token shout down. (laughs) All right. Thank you for your valuable input, Keith. (laughs) But essentially, I don't have much more to say beyond middle ground. I got into the book. I have to say that I did enjoy the experience of reading it. I was intrigued by the plot and I kept pushing forward to see where it went. But at times I found the language a little bit difficult to manage, not from a comprehension point of view, but it was a little bit overly flowery, descriptive. I I don't know. I, Mm. I felt taken out of the narrative by the prose at certain points. The character's had one too many witty retorts. It was almost like Gilmore Girls in a fantasy <laughs> setting to, to a certain extent. But that can be forgiven, I suppose, particularly in fiction that's marketed towards a younger audience. I know that sass is all the rage with the young kids these days and I am just sadly left behind clinging to the old world of literature. The plot, as I said, very simple, quite enjoyable. And I wanted to see the resolution. By the end of the book, I was a little bit invested and gradually began to realise, oh, this isn't a standalone book. I'm, <laughs> I'm expected to read more after this. And, you know, you've got to go read half a sword, half a potato, half a kingdom of farmers, whatever the following books are. Just means you'll go and read half of Wikipedia, won't it, Pat? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, it makes me wish that the overarching narrative was half a trilogy or even better, a third of a trilogy, because it doesn't need to be three books long. You don't know what comes next. Well, I don't care what comes next. It's the problem. <laughs> I think if you get to that point and people are like, it doesn't matter what happens next, then the call for a further book is probably unnecessary. So on that note, I found myself a little bit disappointed in the ending because obviously all the resolutions and things that I wanted weren't quite there. It left it hanging to a certain extent for the other books to come through, I imagine, and tidy everything up and there'll be another twist and everyone's going to have a jolly old time. (laughs) Yavi will still only have one hand. But I'm not going to be there reading it. I probably will have a look at Wikipedia and just see what happens, maybe. But if Yavi had sailed off into the sunset with Samael from the slave ship at the end and they their romance had blossomed or something, I wouldn't have been disappointed with that ending. Yeah, that's about all that's left open, that romance, which I did like. And I guess Grom Gorm as well, although he was a bit of a bit part... Tommy Lee Jones for... No, no, no. Actually, the uncle was Tommy Lee Jones, wasn't he? My bad. <laughs> 
I think almost certainly the, oh, no, I've done a Keith. I said almost certainly it must mean I'm upset. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's trouble brewing with the High King. Oh, yeah, definitely. I imagine that's where the series was going. But he hasn't really been fleshed out much as a character except to sort of say that he was struggling with his power and turning it into coin as well. The High King certainly was in the background throughout the book. Whilst all these bit player kings are fighting over the scraps, there's an overlord high king gathering power to himself in the more distal kingdoms. Yeah, but he had direct influence. He ordered the killing of Yavi's family, Mm. basically, so he could marry Yavi's mother and have her bring money to the court. And he would have got away with it too if it wasn't for those damn kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. One question I suppose I have for you guys following from my what I think of it perspective is did you feel like Yavi's journey from this insecure, worried, frail cripple almost, he viewed himself as a cripple and he was very much viewed as a cripple by these hard people of his kingdom, to the king, do you feel like he hardened too much? Do you feel it was a little bit bloodthirsty by the end? Because that was my perspective. I think he was like that throughout. He sort of had that hard edge to his decision-making, maybe through living a life of, what's the word I'm looking for? He was from the royal family, so he had not experienced the hard times that others had. So he was very hard in his decisions. He was willing to sacrifice others for his ultimate revenge on several occasions. I found that off-putting and... I know that I rail against you when you say you don't like the characters, but it rankled me a little bit because it felt like the narrative was structured for a certain purpose. Having Yavi chained to these people on a slave ship, having to sit there and row and be lashed by the captain, he then turns around once he's restored to his position of privilege and is quite happy to lash the slaves at their oars so that he can get around on his private boat. Yeah, and that's probably evidence of Joe Abercrombie saying, look, you don't have to like the lead character here. But it, for me, it was a bit of mixed messages because, as you say, it felt like that was the humbling moment for him to be down there, a, a chain to the oar, and it didn't have the effect that you would expect it to have on a character of high moral metal. I thought that's what Sumail's calling out of him was meant to you know, make him question what he had become and that she would do more of that in later books. Yeah, maybe it should have happened in this book, but she did call him out. And he did have a bit of a think about it. (laughs) Yeah. I suppose from my perspective where I was looking at it as almost a standalone book and thinking, you know, Mm. this is it. Uh, my, My reading experience terminates at the end of this book. I felt disappointed that there wasn't much more than that brief calling out and there wasn't much reflection on why is he like this? Why is he doing this? Why has he not mellowed from his experience of being saved and from having these slaves helping him journey back to his kingdom? And maybe that's a fault on my part for saying I'm going to take one third of this narrative and base all my judgments on this alone. But you know what? You shouldn't have written them in separate books if you wanted me to read all of them, you idiot. (laughs) That's exactly it for me as well. He may well develop the sides of his character that he didn't in this in the subsequent books and probably that's why he's left with so much developing to do. But you have to like this enough to read on and that's two out of three that haven't. It's funny if I compare it to shows like Vikings, and this definitely had that Scandinavian Nordic flavour. And I don't really like characters like Ragnar and Floki. They're not 
likable, relatable sort of people. They're hard, they're violent, and yet I find them compelling nonetheless. In this, somewhat less so. There didn't seem to be much more than brutality. There was only the violence and the hunger for power, and I didn't find it compelling. I didn't find it engaging. I didn't find it interesting, and I I wasn't much interested in pressing on with that because that's my day-to-day life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I need some escapism. I, I thought some of the other characters were a, a bit more likable. The characters that he had next to him on the on the slave ship, Jord and Rolf. Yeah, I thought they were a bit more relatable, or a bit more friendly, or a bit more jovial. And they talked about wanting to get home to their families and all that kind of thing. And by the end of the book, at least one of them, maybe both of them, had died. I think one of them. Yeah, just one. Or t- two, I guess, if you include Ankrum in that. He was the storekeep that, you know, had his own story arc that he came good and then died. Yeah, and I thought that would serve to drive Yavi's character in, in later books, the reflection upon that. But you guys aren't ever going to get there, so. <laughs> it was funny because he would be reflecting on it and then others would be reflecting on it in a more meaningful way and he would pick up on that and, and wonder about himself a little bit, I think. Mm. Well, he's a bit of a twerp overall, wasn't he? He was. Really? Yes. Don't know that he deserved a lifetime of people throwing rocks at him, but... (laughs) (laughs) Did you both see both plot twists coming at the end? One that the uncle was there all along in nothing and the fact that Gundarig was responsible? I knew something was going to come of nothing. He was too central a character and the the phrases he was dropping, the fact that his face was covered, that to me told that there was going to be something more made of that. But Mother Gundring, I didn't really see. It was kind of like the same twist that we had from his uncle once again, just at the end of the book. The person that he truly felt known by was the one that portrayed him most. I didn't see the revelation that the, the actual rightful heir was still alive either, being nothing. All right, well, before we go to scoring, through the magic of internet and editing and whatnot, let's hear what Bree thought. Bree, what did you think? (laughs) Oh, God. Yavi drove me nuts. I just don't find him believable, as if he could actually survive that first landing in that town, as if he wasn't just going to be like a lamb to the slaughter every single time he came up against some kind of danger. It just wasn't believable. I was bored stupid for two-thirds of the book. I just felt that the whole opening and then getting on a boat, it just went around and around and around. I just felt like we were introduced to all of those characters. It took too long. Every day was the same. There was nothing interesting happening. And then they hit the ice. And then, of course, it's the same thing again. I just felt like it was this yet another test of Yavi's character. Laurie, you'll probably say that he was gaining something through each of those experiences. No, he wasn't. He'd already done it. We'd seen it. We'd read about it 500 times. He has a crippled hand. Did we mention that on every single page of the book? <laughs> Go, Bree. This is sounding familiar. <laughs> I'm loving it. It is. In, in his defence, seeing as it's my book. <laughs> You needed to display the intelligence of Yavi, and that was his grace. Sure, he had a weekend. He was never going to be a warrior, but he had what was required to be a good king, perhaps, but definitely a good minister, and that's what he ends up becoming. So I think each of those trials that he faces, apart from the first one, which was pure dumb luck, falling in the ocean and not drowning, everything else, every other trial that he got through was pretty much, for most of them, I would say, resolved by his quick wit and quick tongue. And interminable passages from the author. (laughs) 
When you say interminable passages from the author. Yeah, it just seems like the same trial every time. Okay. It just it felt like it was the same sort of trial and I felt that it was, as a result, the book was a third longer than it needed to be or they needed to introduce something a little bit more exciting. I feel like this is a fantasy book like every other fantasy book out there. There wasn't something for me that really set it apart to be exciting and interesting. Yeah, that's true. There wasn't really a, any exciting element to the world they were in. No, nothing set it apart. Yeah, the last third finally got going for me, so that was quite an exciting scene. But other than that, it just ugh, took too long. There you go. That's where I think. Now, that's really accurate because Pat's plot synopsis summarised this very simple plot, and that's what it effectively was, but we went this long, meandering way to get there, and that's where mm. it was a bit unnecessary at times. Yep. I agree. I'm still interested to read the next one or two. Maybe it was all for something greater. Maybe the next book in the series, I think it looks at it from another person's perspective. Maybe that will be more interesting. But I can tell you I won't give it the whole book to lure me in. It'll be (laughs) over and done with in a chapter or two. Snooze. Okay, so fantasy isn't my genre. We're all well aware of it. But I just wanted something to distinguish this one from all of the others out there. This yep. is, you know, boy king, he's not the warrior, he gets through on his intelligence. How It's just not different. Hang on, are you forgetting he only has one hand? <laughs> <laughs> it's a pity that you missed what I said about it because I largely agreed, really, and I said if I was going to hand somebody a fantasy book to get them into the genre and get them invested in the beautiful worlds that fantasy has to offer, that this wouldn't be the one that I would give you. This is no. just all of the tropes and the stereotypes cliches rolled into a ball and spat out at you in a not particularly engaging fashion you know what maybe that's why i did like it because you say there should have been something exciting brie or no something a bit different right patrick you say that it's got all the same tropes but i found it a little bit different because it's such low fantasy there's no talking ships there's no speaking to wolves there's no dragons there's no magic rings or not being an apprentice to be a wizard it's all very low medieval kind of fantasy and i haven't really read anything like that before i mean the world i thought was very interesting but only because it was a very simple and harsh and grim kind of world and i think that's what joe abercrombie is a bit famous for and He's rolled it into a young adult fiction in this case. But, yeah, it's not something I've read too much of before. So I was intrigued to step away from elves and high fantasy and step into something darker. But if you want something like that, I would say go read Game of Thrones. Although there are, you know, there's the Daenerys interludes, obviously, which trend more towards the high fantasy that you're wanting to move mm-hmm. around. But I think it's been done before and it's been done better before. Maybe not for this audience. I would have really liked to have read more about Laethlin. I thought she was an interesting character and I would have liked to have read it maybe from her story as, as opposed to Yavi slash Yorv. This is Yavi's mother? Yeah, she's ballsy and intelligent mm. and she's obviously, maybe that's where the next book could go into is seeing things from her perspective. Yeah, hopefully. Did you read the first chapter of the next book? No. Uh, it was at the end of this book and the, the lead character is a ballsy upstart of a little warrior girl. Mm-hmm. who's been picked on by all these brute males and she accidentally kills someone or they mm-hmm. fall onto her broken sword and she gets named a murderer and it starts following her story. So mm, Hopefully be- much more interesting. Mm. I think even in this, the female characters were by far the most interesting. 
Yes, I would be interested to see how his former fiance, I guess, fares. She seemed a little bit too wan and one-dimensional at the start of the book, but at the end she got a bit of a fire in her belly. I'll spoil it for you. She gets blown up with the high sparrow at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping Mm. she would just get turfed over the parapets or something. I would be quite happy not to see her again. (laughs) I don't think we will see more of her. There was a meeting between Yavi and her at the end and she's like, I'm left with nothing. I hope you're happy. She gave a very ominous warning to Yavi, though, that she would be revenged. She swore an oath. She did. Exactly. That's book two, right? Maybe it's only ancillary in, in the subsequent books, but you'll find mm. out M- something must come of that. That doesn't get mm. written without something coming of that. Mm. So the next ones aren't at the top of my list, but I might get around to it one day. I said that about the Rangers and Printers, and here I am one year on, none the closer. I actually thought you said you bought them. Yeah, I did. Huh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well as long as Joe's got your money, <laughs> sorted. <laughs> Are we ready for scoring? Yeah, I'm ready. Sure. Let's do it. Let's do scoring with Patrick. (laughs) Sweet. Okay, so one to five. Number one, this book was like being chained to the oar of a ship for months. Number two. No, that's the live ship traders. Excuse me. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Get out. You're no longer. We were excited when you came, but now you need to leave. (laughs) You've ruined our fun podcast. (laughs) Half a king, more like half a wit. Uh, <laughs> that rankles Like a minister Wishy-washy and smug Four A ruler but a bit broken and more hirsute than it should be Or five Pirates of the Caribbean meets Fifty Shades A lusty rip-roaring seafaring adventure with manacles <laughs> Are you sure you read the same book? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <laughs> Who wants to put a hand up and uh, go in first for this? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go in. I really loved the book. I thought it was witty. I like the grim, dark world it was set in. I, I really want more. I love the dialogue between the characters, and I'm giving it a fat five. Incorrect. So far <laughs> off the mark. <laughs> bom, bom. What's bom, your bom. counterpoint, Brie? <laughs> uh, dull characters, seen it all before. Cliche after cliche takes two-thirds of the book to get anything of substance, and the only reason that it is substance at the end is because of the action and a very intelligent queen. So... Therefore, that is a... Well, based on Patrick's descriptions of two versus three, I'm leaning towards wishy-washy three, but really it was just okay. So two and a half? Yeah, two and a half half is where... Half a star is very appropriate for half a king, I think. Yes, (laughs) and that's where I was coming at two and a half from. It's it's halfway there as a good book. Take out some of the references to his half a hand and you might gain your half a star back. Oh, I don't know (sighs) if... deserves it back merely for cutting back on the half a hand references but Mm. i also give it two and a half wow (laughs) laurie's a broken man (laughs) he's shocked (laughs) i'm gonna do a keith (laughs) (laughs) that that means we'll still be talking about that next week everyone next episode three quotes the first one's from George R.R. R. Martin. Is this meant to change our mind? Uh, no, no, no. It's meant to change the, the listeners' minds. <laughs> George R.R. R. Martin, author of Game of Thrones. 
Good. If Joe people wanted to know George R. R. Martin's opinion, they'd listen to his podcast and not ours. <laughs> He's too busy avoiding writing to do podcasts. <laughs> Joe Abercrombie does it again. Half a King is another page turner from Britain's hottest young fantasist, a fast-paced tale of betrayal and revenge that grabbed me from page one and refused to let go. George R. R. is a fantasist. All right, from The Guardian, fast-moving, gritty and violent, Half a King will not disappoint Abercrombie's legion of followers. Hang on a second, I've got a counterpoint to that. Hmm. The Guardian here says, this is the Australian Guardian, his ambitious saga is convincingly doorstopperish and starts off promisingly, but as I find myself racing through it, my hopes start to wilt. Oh, all right, I'll counterpoint that with one final (laughs) quote from Robin Hobb, author of... The Farsia Trilogy. Oh, God. Well, you can't go to there. The live sheep goes forever. Let's not forget that Robin Hobb, she has written some fantastic books, but her track record is spotty as well in parts. Oh, really? What's what's the spot apart from that dodgy one about the dude that eats food to make magic? <laughs> well, I thought that was the spot that I was mostly <laughs> referring to, the Soldier Sun oh. Trilogy. Yeah, that was dreadful, wasn't it? But I didn't love some of the Rainwilds Trilogy or quadrilogy, whatever it is. The uh, net result here is that three of us, unbiased, (laughs) didn't love it. Laurie in a bunch of marketing material says you should read it. You can (laughs) draw your own conclusions from that. And, I mean, George R.R. says, you know, it had me from page one. He may not have read read beyond page one. Probably noticed Laurie walking around with a new pair of tennis shoes today too. (laughs) 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 I reckon George R. R. Martin did read it. He probably read the rest of the trilogy and read 16 other books because if he has to put pen to paper, his world will collapse. <laughs> now, apologies in advance, Bree. I didn't think you are going to be here. Is, does that mean this is going to be really rude? Next episode, Bree digs deep into her musty you bookshelf. You do not. And sallies forth with another classic. Will it be something deserving of the title classic or something a little bit... Shit, like little women. (laughs) Boys night! Boys night! (laughs) We'll find out as we explore Frances Hodgson Burnett's 1911 powerhouse, The Secret Garden. Until then, if too much elf magic makes you sick, it's probably just radiation poisoning. So jab yourself in the nethers with a rat away and keep reading. Can I just say we forgot to talk about the uh, Westworld Wangs? <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to wax lyrical about the size of those penises. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but uh, is it, uh, the only thing I have as a barometer to compare that with is um, good old Hodor. Is <laughs> what, sorry? Did we see Hodor's wing? Yeah. Did we not? How did you not see it? I think maybe even. Look, maybe I and there's a recency effect, but this this Wang last week was absolutely humongous, and I would say larger than Hodor's. At one point, Hodor used it as a third leg to stand upon. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, well, if we want to get into specifics, do you think that that was a grower or a shower on Westworld? That couldn't be a grower. It couldn't be a grower, could it? It's not physically possible. And I'm half convinced that it was either A, prosthetic, or B, that he'd just sort of like 
revved the engine a little bit before the camera started. (laughs) 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 So nasty. It's because I'm a nasty boy.